This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Good Wednesday afternoon. Brian Callahan with you today in for Linda, who filled in for Patty this morning on Open Line. And uh, really, only one of these shows a day is good for your health. So uh, uh, I'll take the reins this afternoon for Linda. It's our own version of load management here to make a sports analogy. Going back to, um, some of you may know, how the Toronto Raptors handled Kawhi Leonard during their championship run a few years ago when load management became the buzzwords in sports. And uh, and I suppose it could be... um, Applied to just about any walk of life, really. Uh, too much of something is probably not a good thing. Moderation, the key. So into the Christmas home stretch now, for sure. Although you never say it around these parts, Claudette. Um, just had to run over to uh, run a couple of errands, and you know, 10, 11, 12 degrees out there. Doesn't feel like a Christmas hustle and bustle, does it? No, but when you <laughs> listen to the radio and you hear Christmas tunes, it does. <laughs> yeah, so it's the offset, right? Yeah, it is the offset. Yeah, it's all around. You can still feel it, but it's just, uh, it's almost like. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those weird feelings when it's a warm, balmy day in yeah. December. Yeah, some people like that and would like to be in Florida at Christmas. I'm the opposite. I The more snow, the better. It looks like we have a 60% chance of flurries mm. on uh, at Christmas, so I'm hoping that that's going to be the case. Coming around a bit. I remember I spent a Christmas. you ever spend Christmas south? I spent Christmas south in the Dominican one year a long time ago. And it was nice. It was just uh, different. Uh, right? I went by myself. I, there were friends that I knew were going to be at the same resort, but I went by myself. It was great. I during hung out the real holiday. During the real holiday. It was Christmas Eve watching the World Juniors uh, at Toronto's Pearson Airport. Or no, it wasn't. It was Boxing Day. I was watching the World Juniors in the airport at Toronto waiting for our flight, uh, direct flight to Dominican. It was kind of cool. It was different. It's not something you're going to do all the time. Yeah. I mean, I'm a Christmas nostalgia as much as anyone yeah we had a big family growing up so i mean i you know i'm I'm all about the snow and the the traditions but that was a nice break that year i needed it and uh i know it was weird but it felt like um christmas vacation national lampoons you know (laughs) singing the hawaii song but uh no i don't know like i would love to do that maybe for boxing day but the actual day that's brave yeah (laughs) i left on christmas day and of course we got stuck in toronto yeah i know know. it's just a weird year that wow You know, bucking the trend, right? Trying to, you know, whatever. It was just a spur of the moment. Hit me. Great flight. Great price. Why not? And I could. I was in a position. So not doing that this year. Not uh, not really want to this year. We're going to have a a nice celebration on Christmas. How about yourself? It's going to be loud, quiet. What are you going to yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. I tend to go to my mom's, uh, mm. mom and dad's uh, at Christmas. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, family around there. I like, I still to this very day, love watching my parents open up their mm-hmm. stockings. Yeah. So I get it. I yep. I'm going to enjoy watching my mom uh, give out all the grandkids all their gifts tomorrow night. Yeah, so that's, that's so sweet. Cool. It's a nice little thing on a Thursday. Anyway, this is News Talk. I uh, appreciate the uh, chat there, Claudette. We get out of the... Uh, weather and hustle bustle Christmas on to some news today of course there is some one thing I definitely wanted to know we don't have a lot of time I got a few items I want to get on the show today but uh, interesting that the province has what they're saying reissued and they're calling it a request for classification. So any, cur- you know, the questions that we all had about HMP and the a replacement for it, uh, still several years away at the very least uh, with the government announcing a reissuance, calling the request for qualifications, not proposals, but qualifications. And this has everything to do with how the cost, uh, the estimated cost of this facility uh, was looking. Uh, in places, 2 to 300% over budget. And this is not just... 
on uh, fault of the project, but just supply chains and all the other issues and market changes since the pandemic. And it all adds up. And uh, bottom line is it was coming in too expensive. We all know we need that facility. I don't think there's any going, going back on it. Ironically, it could end up being like the Cornerbrook Hospital. It could be more than a decade before we'll see it. But um, And I say ironic because, of course, we just had the announcement recently of the Cornerbrook Hospital. And now we're seeing issues, uh, much like the Grand Falls Windsor long-term care homes, where, you know, early stages of that uh, building are showing up issues that you hope will be caught, really, ultimately. Um, the numbers, uh, the government and the opposition difference, but uh, they want to try to avoid that, of course, with the new prison and uh, the announcement today that the, the reissuance of class qualifications. So they're changing the specs, basically, um, you know, on the size of it, on how it'll be laid out and any way that they can. To, uh, to still provide the facility that we all know we need, but at a cheaper cost. So whether or not the cheaper cost or the more efficient costs uh, will have any impact on the quality, uh, you know, sometimes they go hand in hand, but that remains to be seen as well. Um, if nothing else, this is at least uh, a sign that the government still has it square in their sights. It's just going to be a lot longer than we thought. So the... Um, uh, let's see, the information on the RFQ, the qualification, that'll be available in early January, and the deadline for proposals is February. And again, this is so early stages that we're still looking for maybe five years or more out for the replacement of HMP. But that announcement today, again, at least it's still in the sites, and whether or not it's announcement to at least say they're still on it, uh, again, very early days. Um, elsewhere, this is what we call, of course, you know, uh, speaking, going back to the load management um, it's an interesting time for news cycles here. You know, we move as we all move into year end mode and we revisit some of the larger, bigger stories and, and uh, people for recap of the year that was. And I'll have a couple of those uh, coming up. I um, I've spoken with the chief of the RNC, Patrick Roach, as well as the assistant commissioner for the RCMP. They say assistant commissioner kind of sounds like there is a commissioner, but the assistant commissioner is actually the head of the RCMP the commanding officer here for Newfoundland Labrador B Division, and that's Jennifer Ebert. Spoke with both um, heads of those police forces today, actually, and um, I've got some nice chunk of uh, audio that you might be interested in, starting with the chief of the RNC, and we'll go right to him, Patrick Roach, after the break. Uh, this is Brian Callahan. I'm in for Linda today on News Talk, and we'll be right back. Ring in the new year with a special edition of the Irish Newfoundland Show, 9 p.m. New Year's Eve. Welcome back to the program. Brian Callahan with you on News Talk today. One other story I did want to touch on just briefly um, before we go into uh, my interview with RNC Chief Patrick Roach. The uh, province is, uh, uh, again, looking to sell or lease the full arm, the bull arm uh, fabrication site out there just beyond the isthmus. Uh, of course, they say it's one of the largest of its kind in Atlantic Canada, but they've issued their own. Um, so it was an RFQ for the prison and also today an RFP for proposals. Uh, for the possible sale or the lease of the site. You know, um, I remember being there for the launch of Hibernia, not yesterday, late 90s. And, uh, and you know, it was incredible just to see, you know, that facility and what it had to offer 
for a project like Hibernia or deep, you know, remember, I just remember them talking about the deep water port and how important that was, ice-free. Um, you know, so it's a, like they cut, let's see, 25 square kilometer Trinity Bay fabrication site. So, um, you know, all kinds of uses for it, of course, and the government is shopping it uh, to sell or lease. Um, you know, it seems uh, maybe it's just me, but across the board, lots of efforts here by the province to either unload or revisit or look at uh, what it has in its um, in its cash, you know, that it could probably unload. I'm thinking back to the Green Report and not necessarily privatization, but at least, you know, loosening some of the uh, grip that the province has on various facilities and places that might be open and, uh, and possible to lease or sale um, to either unload it from a, a debt situation or to, you know, make a revenue off it. So um, interesting, a couple of RFPs and RFQs today. Now, on to my conversation. Um, as I mentioned, we have some year-end conversations with certain entities, and certainly the RNC falls into that category. Um, here's a taste of what I had uh, my chat today with RNC Chief Patrick Roach. Just very broadly, uh, successes, uh, challenges, um, it's been an interesting year to say the least. Yes, I think that, uh, you know, 2023 was a, a, a year of certainly change, what we've seen sort of within the province, within crimes, type of crimes we've been investigating, you know, uh, violent crimes, crimes involving gun-related offenses are certainly there and relevant to be spoken about. And as a result of what we've been observing and, and investigating, we certainly are answering the call to that with the uh, development of a weapons and uh, drug unit to deal with uh, what we perceive to be uh, uh, an increase in that sort of activity within the province. So I think there are challenges in policing. I think we are uh, ready to meet those challenges uh, with the staff and the officers we have. And with the new unit that we established, we tried as a pilot project that saw some great results with it, uh, that it was implemented uh, as part of our organization in September. Um, and it started off in October. So, so I think, yeah, there is uh, definitely crime taking place, uh, but there's some great police work taking place as well to answer that. What is the most significant change that you've seen in all your years uh, with the RNC um, in, in crime? Uh, what is the most tr worrisome or troubling or, um, or um, uh, important change that you've seen that the RNC has had to adapt to, not just th but this year specifically, because it seems to be a fluid thing, but, but overall? So, so I think, you know, and again, I've been doing this for I mean, my 39th year, so obviously a lot of changes uh, as to the evolution of how crime unfolds uh, since 1985 to 2023 and no doubt into 2024. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, technology has changed. Uh, everything is instant. Uh, so that, that sort of types of crimes are taking place that way. The accessibility people have to weapons uh, the drug uh, types of drugs that are now available in our community or uh, the illegal drugs available in our community has certainly changed from that time to now. So those would certainly be challenges that we, you know, train our officers to continue to be trained in the investigation of those sorts of offenses and increasing our resources in these areas to make sure that we are keeping abreast with it, shall we say. The RCMP um, um, commanding officer Ebert uh, was very blunt about the spike in crimes uh, across the board. Um, 
are, are we keeping up? You know, uh, people are a little bit more weary. They raise eyebrows at certain offenses more so than others. As you pointed out, the, you know, the gun crimes are uh, have changed. One of the things I've noticed the most from, you know, living here my entire life and working here. Um, and again, 3D printing and all this kind of thing. Uh, you know, what are the challenges? How are you uh, managing to adapt and keep up? You know, we train officers specifically for these particular types of offences that are occurring, and we increase our resources in the areas for the, that sort of uh, for investigation of those offences. We're staying abreast of it through the gather, intelligence we gather and in the resources we apply to it to investigate these offences and the arrests. As you can see in the media, the number of arrests for the courts that we've made related to gun uh, gun violence and the, uh, in relation to 3D printers, as you mentioned. Uh, so we are staying abreast. Will we ever be ahead of it? I can't answer that. We'd like to think so. But, uh, you know, everything is evolving. It has always evolved and changed. And technology changes from day to day. So just as we are adapted to that, it changes again. So it's a catch-up game uh, in dealing with these things. Yes, uh, violent crimes within the Northeast Avalon and the areas that we police, you can see a change in that. However, they are I believe, uh, drug-related and fueled by that way and seem to be contained to that community. So if you're involved in that sort of trade and community, that's the people who are affected by it. Unfortunately, sometimes there's spillage, spill out to, uh, to the other parts of the community, and we stay on top of that as well. I just want to touch on the, the very, you know, ever-present issue of mental health, um, not just, you know, with dealing with cases like that, but within your own force. Um, how's recruitment and how have the challenges changed to recruiting, uh, you know, given the realities of what police are, are, you know, up against every day, you know, the things that uh, that challenge them personally? Um, how has recruitment changed? Is there more of a focus on mental health and, and the strength of an officer? I mean, we know police officers have a different, very different job than any of us, their lives and their well-being around the line every single day, physically, emotionally. Um, has that challenge changed greatly? So, uh, you know, police work is a different profession and a different career path for than a lot of other careers. And no doubt every career has their challenges, whether you're a doctor or a teacher, whatever walk of life you, you are in, there are mental health challenges in every career. And I'd like to acknowledge that up front first. But within the police world, when it comes to recruiting and, and I guess how our knowledge and skill set of mental health, how important it is in within our organization and the work that we do, uh, because of the nature of the call our officers are responding to. We've taken steps to certainly build in a uh, checks and balances. Uh, we've recently hired this past August a clinical psychologist who works full-time within the Rwanda Flank Stabbery on staff to work with the development of training for their preventative piece, for ongoing check-ins with our members, to be a part of any critical incidents that take place, to offer support and uh, uh, for the members join and after those events. Uh, so that's, I think, key to the success in the future of looking after the mental health well-being of our members and any recruits that we are hiring. We've had a class of 17 graduate in August from the Atlantic Police Academy. We have a class of 14 starting uh, in January. Hmm. So uh, we are more, I think, being more knowledgeable about how mental health affects people differently and hiring professionals who are specifically trained and this psychologist we have comes from a background of working with police and dealing with police informed trauma so we rely on people who are 
specialists and who are the professionals to provide help to our members. And I think that is a key to having a successful mental health program in any organization, is relying on the professionals who are experts in that area. Is it harder to recruit, though? I mean, are you finding that it's, uh, you know, the bar is a little higher, the strength of mind, the strength of will, just that whole character that you're looking for in an RNC officer? I think, as I said, we have a class of 14 going away in January, the class of 17 that just came out in in this past August. Uh, we're a very strong-looking group of individuals. Uh, they did very, very well in their training program, and I expect the same from the class that are going away now. Uh, I think that we as an organization have to make sure individuals understand what police work is before they sign up to come into it and they have a clear understanding of what is expected on them and as opposed to the nice glossy pictures and the videos that show the exciting part of it because there's a lot of very ugly parts of the police world as well. So I think we have a better set chance of being successful in recruiting when we're honest about what the job is about with people. And the numbers right now, the compliment, are you are we satisfied? Like do you have the numbers that you want to see that we should have right now to meet the, the, the challenges, the growing crime rate? Yes. Short answer is yes. Okay. What kind of numbers? What what are how many RNC officers are in the fold right now? We have uh, four thirteen is our number and we have had in this past year approximately twelve officers retiring and, and leave for other reasons. So we are staying where we are with our what we should have in our organization. So I'm just want to ask you briefly, you know, the, you know, we know the process of, of, uh, of a criminal charge and a person going before the courts. I'm in the courts all the time, and almost a day doesn't go by where judges remark on um, the penitentiary and uh, space there and uh, trying to release more people. There are lots of calls by the conservative side to, to release more and have less uh, incarceration and different alternatives. Is the RNC satisfied with the process of the courts? Does it get frustrating sometimes when, you know, you might have have um, a person that's been charged and a lot of police worked on to charge someone and uh, you might not dis- might not necessarily agree with the release plan or 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 the incarceration of that person so the courts have a different um, criteria when it comes to what police do what our job sure. we investigate we make an arrest we lay a criminal charge uh, and times when people are held in custody and brought before the courts uh, that is up to the courts to look at the merits of the case, the history of the individuals that are before them, and determine whether or not they should be held in custody or whether they should not be. And whatever decision is made, we as police have to live with and work with. But uh, does it ever become a bit frustrating, the fact that, uh, you know, I mean, there's no room at the inn? So, again, my answer is very clear, <laughs> is that the courts come to their decisions based on the facts they have before them. And we live with those decisions and work with them. Sure. Um, what is the greatest challenge facing you now? What, what's, what's top of mind for you as we enter a new year? And, and I, I, you know, obviously I'm not asking for one. I'm sure you have a, a laundry list of, uh, you know, policing these days. Um, yeah, but if you could somewhat prioritize. You know, it's a great question. Um, I'm not sure if there's any one issue that I I see as the greatest challenge ahead of us in 2024. Police work is incredibly fluid. Uh, You know, it could change by the time I hang up from you here today on the phone. And that's the reality of it. It's a matter of making sure that our members that currently are working with us and those away in training have the resources uh, 
uh, mental health resources available for their physical and mental health well-being to prepare them for the job they do every day. So that is a constant challenge for uh, the executive in this organization to make sure that we are keeping ahead and abreast of what our members need, our civilian members and our police and police officers. If they're not healthy and well and in a good morale state, we're not going to be productive to the people that we serve in this province. So that is my priority within our organization is to ensure that the members have the resources that they need to do their job effectively and efficiently. So I think in 2024, we did a great job in 2023 with adding new staff, our clinical psychologist, working towards improving uh, the resources we have available so our members are not on a wait list somewhere to be looked after. And I think in 2024, I want to build on that and continue uh, the growth we've had, we've seen in 2023. Chief Roach, I'm going to let you go on that. I appreciate it. Thanks for somehow making time for this. It's uh... Brian, Brian, I always have time for you, and the uh, best of the holiday season to you and your family and to everyone at VOCM and within the province. Very, uh, very kind of the RNC chief there, Patrick Roach, uh, making time for us today, and a shout-out to all our VOCM listeners and our staff. And the uh, best of the season right back at the chief of the RNC. Um, yeah, no, um, uh, no rest for the weary and uh, not an easy job by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but uh, And day-to-day, it changes. And coming up after the break, um, I'll have a similar chat, uh, although on some separate issues um, with the uh, uh, assistant commissioner for the RCMP here in Newfoundland Labrador, the head of the RCMP for B Division, um, and that is Commanding Officer Jennifer Ebert. That'll be right after the break. And we'll also check in. Allison King, uh, VOCM's Allison King, had a chat today with the NLTA president, Trent Langdon, for a little end-of-year chat there. We'll talk, uh, we'll hear some of that in the next half hour. As well, as I mentioned earlier in the show, um, the um, request for qualifications has been reissued for the new penitentiary. Uh, we'll get, uh, that was the government this morning announcing that. We'll get some reaction from the official opposition, uh, specifically the member for Exception Bay South, Barry Petten, will have his reaction to that announcement this morning. And uh, that's all here on News Talk. I'm Brian Callahan in Fort Linda Swain this afternoon. We'll be right back after the news with Noah Shepard. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And welcome back to the program. As mentioned just before the break, and uh, boy, timing really is everything, hey, with news of an investigation into the death of that inmate um, a couple of weeks ago down at the pen. Uh, and then today, the reissuation of the um, qualification, uh, request for qualification. So interesting timing in the news business for sure. We'll just say interesting. I doubt there's any coincidence. Or it's, I mean, I'm sure it's all a coincidence is what I meant to say. Um, anyway, back to before the break, I was mentioning the, uh, of course, the RNC chief, Patrick Roach. Uh, shortly before that, I managed to squeeze in my interview with RCMP Assistant Commissioner Jennifer Ebert, who's in charge for the province here for the RCMP. And here's... Just some of my chat with her. I'll have some more on the morning show tomorrow morning as well. But here is my chat with uh, Jennifer Ebert, the assistant commissioner for the RCMP in this province. So I guess just generally, let's begin with just your um, general observations of RCMP operations in the province this year. Uh, year over year, we always see cha- trend changes and that sort of thing. I've attended some training sessions. I know that that's a, a priority as well as uh, the changing face of crime in the province. 
So our highest priority is to safeguard the residents and families and communities of Newfoundland and Labrador. So we police for we have 42 detachments and additional specialized service. And so the crime trends or the needs across each of those communities vary greatly. We have a number of detachments that are two person and very small um, communities, for example, like Rigolette. And then we police places like Grand Falls, Windsor, um, Gander, that have seen uh, different spikes in crime. So I'll give Gander as an example. They've seen um, an increase in the crime severity index. And so we shift the way that we deploy um, that we deploy our officers as well as our strategies in those areas. Over the past year, so 2023 compared to 2022, we've seen a, a 5% increase in additional calls for service that have generated. And that's been in a number of um, different areas. And so it's a matter of, you know, how we're deploying in uh, in some of these areas, it's it's um, it's kind of like Tetris. It's uh, very, <laughs> you know, we move resources from one area to another to make sure that we're meeting uh, we're meeting the highest demand. That's a good visual, the Tetris uh, analogy. Absolutely, and this is it. We use we utilize not only our regular members who are assigned to specific detachments. We also utilize our specialized services that we have um, across the province, as well as we're able to reach into a reservist program that we have, which are retired RCMP or other police officers who come back to provide services, and they can provide relief in some communities or um, surge capacity in others uh, Why we, if we need to address a particular issue. You mentioned a crime index there when it comes to Gander for specifically, but um, do you have indexes for all areas of the province, and how have they all uh, uh, either changed, stabilized, or, or, or increased or decreased? Or, you know, I mean, do you have a, I don't want to call it a ranking, but um, what about indexes for other areas of the province? So the National Crime Severity Index is only done in communities over 10,000 persons. Right. And so for Newfoundland and Labrador, it's done for St. John's, Cornerbrook, Gander, Grand Falls, Windsor. Um, and so we have seen a spike actually all across, um, both in our jurisdiction as well as RNC jurisdiction. However, we do look at our own data when we're talking about smaller communities. Um, an example that I can give is, you know, last year in 2022, the issue of the transient population in um, Happy Valley Goose Bay was rather significant as well as a rise in calls for service. Mm. Well, the trends that we're seeing this year is that the calls for service um, have gone down compared to what they were last Last year, but also has some of the transient population, and so we, we watch that in various communities um, because there's different uh, there's different needs, and when the decisions are made with some of our partners or social programming, it may shift us to well, we need to address a new need here. You mentioned yeah that transient example for for Goose Bay. Um, in other areas, you said it's up across the board. So what would we generally attribute the spike to in larger centres? Um, is looked after by the RNC. Right, well, yeah. um, But what I can say is that there has been, because we have... Um uh, intelligence unit that yeah. services both of ours. Right, so the they, joint, they, uh, yeah, joint operations. And so they take a look at those trends. And unfortunately, violent crime is up in those areas as well as uh, as well as Gander. And so I can't specifically speak to their individual statistics. Um, however, there has been, um, like for ourselves, when we're talking about the 42 detachments and communities that we serve. Um, 
crimes against persons have gone up an overall increase of about 2%. Um, in some areas, it has gone up, like assaults and robberies, um, harassments and threats. However, um, in uh, in relation to sexual offenses in our area, it actually has gone down. So, it, it you know, there's ups and downs in various areas. However, one of the trends that we are seeing in most of our um, communities is crimes against property. So they've increased by about 7%. Mm. Um, so, so, you know, theft under 5,000. Um, frauds have significantly increased, almost 29%. And those types of things, those frauds, sometimes they're not localized. Like there was um, earlier this year, we did some communication about, about a grandparent scam that was happening, right? Well, that's not someone local who's driving that. And so we have to keep in mind the, the trends that are not only happening here in Newfoundland and Labrador, but some of them in relation to cyber and the access to um, community through uh, cyber means. You know, you don't have to be located here to, to no. be the, <laughs> the electronic. Yeah, the electronic crimes are, world, are global, we know. So they can, in a, in a stroke, of a key, uh, you know, a key on a computer. Um, we should note as well that these are just what's reported, of course. So when you look at this, uh, do you have any idea of what uh, really the true number could be? I mean, as you said, with sexual crimes, um, my, the reporting is down, but uh, we always know that there's so much more going on that's not reported. Absolutely. Like most most crimes, we can only base it on previous years, up or down. There was a spike over the past several years in reporting for um, sexual assault type cases, but we think that was a lot due to the globalization and the understanding across the country that you really should report these things. However, just like intermittent partner violence and other crimes, unless it's reported to us, it's a statistic that we're not aware of. We can go based on previous years and previous trends. However, until it's reported to us, we're unaware of whether it's happening, especially if it's happening behind closed doors. Right. Um, uh, well, good segue to that. With the increase in spike in crime, uh, whether 2% or, or, you know, in various areas, comes the need for uh, rec- staffing and recruitment. So I know I attended a couple of recruitment drives and demonstrations at RCMP headquarters this year. Um, how is the recruitment going and how challenging is it to find good Mounties these days with the, uh, you know, changing challenges of policing? a challenging year. It's been a challenging couple of years as far as recruiting and vacancies for our front lines. Um, however, we've certainly been encouraged by um, our proactive recruiter, Peter Goss, who has generated a significant amount of interest here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, as far as increasing our recruitment efforts, we just had an open house two weeks ago, and I think we received eight people from who had applied just from that session alone. So our proactive recruiter, he's you know presenting in schools and job fairs and doing all of that. But we're also recruiting experienced police officers from other police services. This past year, we've bought, brought four police officers from other police services, some of which are outside the province, over to um, to work with the RCMP in Newfoundland and Labrador. And so it's that constant recruitment. It is absolutely a challenge. One of the things that the RCMP has done um, in the past year is that there's now a pre-posting agreement prior to when you first um, go to depot. It used to be, I'll find out when I graduate where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Whereas now one of the efforts that um, has been done is that when you, if you're from Newfoundland and Labrador and you want to come home, yeah. 
you get to come back home. And so, you know, I talked to a mother this past year who was grateful that she would get to um, <laughs> get to see her child for their birthdays. <laughs> so those things are important to Newfoundlanders and Labradorians and across the country to know where you're going, especially when the average age of people that we're recruiting is 29. A lot of people have families, and so they want to know where they're going and how they can support yeah. their families in the move. So, And that said, um, you know, I, I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on, you know, the uh, the mental health aspect of this. I mean, it's policing. It's hard work. You know, uh, it's a different work than any other task or job out there. You're putting your life and your and your brain and everything else on the line every day. Um, you know, uh, in recruitment sense, do you have tougher, stringent, uh, you know, stress tests and that sort of thing to make sure that, uh, you know, they can handle the kind of things that they will see? So we do a fair bit of um, assessment and psychological assessment before individuals join the RCMP, as well as why they're um, at our training academy. There's a, a work being done as far as resiliency and to understand um, what that looks like and how you can look after yourselves. And then once we have officers in the field, we have a number of programs that have been established over the last few years in order to support our officers. We have critical incident stress debriefings. We have mandatory psychological um, um, mm. examinations by doctors so that we're making sure that, you know, things are not being uh, left to fester. We're trying to address those right up at the front because you're right, there are a number of uh, there are a number of circumstances which our officers deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, which are quite impactful. And so we're trying to, it's a full wraparound, you know, prior to y you getting in to understand um, what it's like and to make sure you have mm -hmm. some basic resiliency, as well as that training at depot and then continued service. Now, for some of our locations, um, some of our locations in Labrador, um, you're required to do some additional psychological screening because there's, there's some additional um, impacts that happen when you're in a remote remote isolated community and so we make sure that if you're going to those communities that you're prepared to be there. My thanks again there to the Assistant Commissioner and uh, Head of the RCMP here in Newfoundland and Labrador, Jennifer Ebert. Tomorrow morning on the morning show, I'll have um, an extended, um, another part of the conversation, which we didn't hear today, but uh, specific to the murder investigation around uh, Dean Penny on the West Coast and, uh, and of course, Northern Peninsula um, from St. Anthony. Uh, we spoke generally about that case following the news conference last Saturday, and I'll have that interview tomorrow morning on the morning show. Uh, uh, but as for now, we're going to take a short break and come right back. Uh, Brian Callahan here with you on News Talk. There's going to be a time tonight. Who says you can't start a new tradition? Bringing in the new year with a special edition of the Irish Newfoundland Show. 9 p.m. New Year's Eve. Work. Welcome back to the program. Uh, just a couple of minutes left to squeeze in a couple of quick interviews I want to get in. First of all, let's hear from the opposition in their reaction to the news today of a request for qualifications being reissued for a new penitentiary. It just it reaffirms, I guess, my uh, view on the, mis the management of peach trees within this province over the last number of years. It's, it's an issue as infrastructure critic I've been <clears throat> outspoken on for several years. And two years ago, actually, I issued a news release asking for this to be retendered because it was down to a sole source, sole source one bidder. I never felt spending upwards to, you know, right now I think it's around half a billion dollars and one bidder being, you know, I thought that fair process was unfair. The bidders were upset about it because they felt the playing field was not right. So this is old news to me. I mean, we see it with the mental health facility. It was $39 million over budget. A year later, we had to give it to the second place bidder. I spoke yesterday on Western Memorial and the deficiencies, and they paid $20 million, and they still got deficiencies. 
Gander, Grand Falls, long-term cares, the deficiency, delayed openings. So the track record is not good, and I just it defies logic to me uh, where, we're, where we're here today. I mean, I know that the uh, current Minister of Justice, Minister Hogan, basically said shame on me for asking if it be retendered two years ago. I mean, it's just made, it only made, made sense then, so it's a pure example of government's mismanagement of the P-trees. It's just a, it's a failure, if you ask me. You talked about the management of P-trees, but not doing something different than that P-trees. Do you still think that model is P3 model is interesting because it got its pros and cons. You go to different provinces and the disastrous stories up in Ontario and other places, success stories. I do believe any of these processes can work, but you've got to go back and really dig down and feel, find what's wrong. There's obviously a problem with here. I'm not the expert in that field, but I've always felt there was a problem. I think the fairness monitor that they bring in, is that really the, is that really the, you know, the end game? I thought that you're in, within the department, there's biases, but even if they don't realize they got them, it, it's a lot of, lot of... And Newfoundland, Newfoundland is a fishbowl when it comes to the construction world. And when come, everyone knows everyone, they're only, we're, only, we're not separated by much. So to get a really open, fair playing field, I really think that a lot of it comes with our culture, but I think the process itself, I mean, you, I mean, right across the board. And maybe we need to go back to the old-fashioned way, do the RFPs and that, that was being done. I'm not sure we're saving more money. I, I, I've yet to see that. They, 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 every project, they keep telling us all the money we're saving. But I'm, I'm not so sure we are saving much money. Is it really favoritism, though, they didn't make them in the end? Well, in the HMP one is what I'm referring to in favoritism. They backed out. Yes, but I mean, they didn't go ahead. They, they haven't... They're now retendering it, so they're not going ahead with the project as was, you know, put forward by the consortium. So is it still favoritism? They've not given them the, the job. I don't think they had any choice but to cancel it. But my question is, two years ago, everybody knew there was a problem, and why not deal with it then? But it seemed like it was being pulled in that direction. They made every every way possible to try to make this work, and to come down to it, they couldn't. So I guess you want to call it favoritism. I just call it mismanagement, and it was being, I think they were being skewed by the fact that it was favoritism being, being pushed. They, they, had, they had to deal with that issue as well. End of the day, they couldn't sell it to the public, so they canceled it. That's, that's not sure what happened. I think is there any way possible this could have been sold to the public? If you could have kept the price down around $400 million, we that, that, that uh, penitentiary would be under construction. When you get into the five, five twenty, we're here, and maybe even higher, you couldn't sell it to the general public. I mean, th let's be honest, that's, that's it. that price tag is just almost doubled. I think that became the problem. One of the things they were saying is that they're, they're doing some honest, they've been drilling down. You know, I guess the inference for some of us would be drill down before this, like why all of a sudden now are you foot sharpening the pencils? Yeah, how do you respond? I couldn't agree more. Actually, you know, you, you, you know, you're right, and you drill down. I mean, we have uh, we got billions of dollars worth of infrastructure projects that are tied to peat trees. So before you ever spend five cents, wouldn't you, wouldn't you, wouldn't you do, wouldn't you do your due diligence? They, they like to use the word due diligence and collaboration and other, you know, there's lots of words. I mean, I mean, you know, Mr. Fury and liberals like to check the boxes and all their issues. But, I mean, end of, <laughs> end of the day, this should have been done long before now. This should not be, we should not be here talking now. $520 million penitentiary that's cancelled because they're, now they're going to all of a sudden they're going to go back and figure out what's wrong. I mean, we're in billions of dollars into this process, and I think it's, again, I think it's total mismanagement and failure on behalf of government. And if you couldn't tell, that was uh, Barry Petten, the, um, with the official opposition, of course, Tory party. Uh, taking issue again with the uh, with the length of time and the process of trying to build a new penitentiary, and now the reissuance of um, a call for classification for basically rejigging the entire specs on the issue on the on the project uh, because of expense. It's just getting out of hand with the expenses, so they're going to revisit it 
and look at a cheaper way or a more efficient way, we should say, I guess, to build that penitentiary. Just a few minutes left. I'm going to switch gears completely right now. Alison King had a chat earlier today. Our own VLCM's Alison King, um, while she was working hard away on the web, managed to find some time to have a chat with Trent Langdon, the NLTA president. Of course, now that school has um, recessed for the uh, winter break, here's just a little bit of uh, Alison's chat with Trent Langdon earlier today. When it comes to the need for more teachers, can you speak to um, either like the number of teachers that you're looking to fill positions in or if it's more of like a rural issue? Is it all over the province? Can you just expand on that? Right. In this province, we've always had hard to fill positions. You know, your your isolated areas. Uh, that's that's been an ongoing thing. There's been some success in fi- in finding people to fill those positions. Um, However, you know, the, the issue ultimately is there's a significant reliance on retired teachers in this province right now. And even with that uh, reliance on the retired teachers, um, there's still significant shortages when it comes to substitute teachers. Uh, so there are still positions on filled. I wouldn't be able to tell you the exact numbers, but um, the, the, the larger issue right now is the day-to-day filling of, of day positions whereby there's no subs to cover. And... Uh, there's, there's many schools each day in this province that don't have the full complement of teachers to, to keep things moving, but yet doors stay open. Um, so obviously, if you've got less less bodies on, on the ground and, and less uh, professionals there to teach curriculum and to support children as they're needed, uh, the stress just, just pervades the building, and it's triage mode most days in most schools. Do you think the provincial government should allocate more money for schools? Right, so it's it's getting people in positions, obviously. So in, any incentivization that can happen to get people, because in the end, you know, once you got people in the positions, you can you can work with with the system. But it's it's. Uh, that first initial piece of getting people and keeping them there, but is also creating a system that is uh, that is uh, is functional. And right now, there's so much need in our system, whereby the uh, um, uh, the composition of our rooms are, uh, is so heavy, or they're so heavy uh, in terms of you know mental health concerns, just the ongoing learning difficulties that children have, uh, sometimes related behavioral concerns. Our newcomers, uh, particularly in, in urban areas, not all urban, but but particularly urban, um, are, uh, are you know percentage-wise are high in each classroom. Uh, just spoke with a teacher a few few days ago who who has six seven different languages being spoken in in her class, and even just translation of materials becomes very difficult. Um, and also, you know, a lot of these children are still have just recently come from from war-torn countries and so on, and it's it's a traumatic experience for them. First time ever attending school for some of them. So, uh, it, you. Know, that that piece along with all the other pressures that uh, you know inflation cost of living a lot of families facing poverty uh, that ends up in our classrooms and if you've got 30 faces looking at you every morning and you've got to try and meet all their needs in addition to curriculum you can quickly see how heavy it gets um, do you have a, a timeline on when that tentative agreement might be signed uh, hard to know. Uh, you know that obviously getting it done uh, or the tentative uh, agreement ratified before Christmas was a goal. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to say specifically, but it would be we would hope sooner than later to get that the, the final signatures on that. Um, and just as a final, if you had a Christmas message for students, staff, and teachers. 
Yeah, and I I always try to tout the positive. Our, our teachers are going above and beyond. Uh, I often talk about how, how uh, the Christmas season tends to bring a lot of stress, but also there's a lot of enjoyment and a lot of fun in schools right now. So I just want to pass along our thanks to our membership for the work that they're doing uh, day in, day out with the schools. So I do know that for many families, um, it's a stressful time. And, and for some of our children in our schools, the uh, uh, our schools are, are the only true Christmas or holiday celebration they'll get this this time around. So thank you to the members for their extra efforts. And uh, I hope everybody's safe and comes back strong and healthy in the new year. And uh, I couldn't agree more uh, with the NLTA president, Trent Langdon, there. Thanks to my uh, colleague, Alison King, for putting that interview together. And, uh, yeah, uh, can't have enough shout-outs there, um, Claudette, for the teachers, uh, all the teachers out there, especially my daughter's teachers. I'm going to do that right now, shamelessly. Um, what they're up against. Boy, the last few years has been something else, um, to say the least. Anyway, that uh, just about puts a wrap on News Talk again for this Wednesday. I have no idea what's happening tomorrow. I may be back. I may not. Uh, we'll play that one by ear. In the meantime, enjoy the balmy temperatures out there, unseasonably balmy. It's going to, uh, let's see, nine, a few showers tonight if you're getting out for a bit of uh, possibility of showers, I should say. Still kind of breezy, so hold on to your car doors. But, um, down to about a low of seven tonight so you know chance of showers but seven degrees i'll take it running in and out of buildings or stores and into the vehicle and all the rest of it um a little warmer than usual but as claudette mentioned she'll cool off again just in time for christmas on uh saturday christmas eve and sunday christmas day wow three days away uh drive safely arrive alive vocm cares